0: Before we get started today, I have some really exciting news. We have a new podcast. There are just certain stories we can't do for Myths and Legends because, well, they aren't myths or legends. So we made a new podcast. It's called Fictional. We're diving into stories like Dante's Inferno, The Time Machine, Sherlock Holmes, Shakespeare, Call of Cthulhu, and more. And that's just the first season. Basically, it's really similar to Myths and Legends, just in the world of classic literature, I am so excited about it, and if it sounds cool, subscribing on Apple Podcasts is really helpful. You can find the show there at apple.fictional.fm, but it's not just on Apple Podcasts. You can find the full listing at fictional.fm. There are also links in the show notes. And before we get started on the episode, there's also a content warning this week. Since it's Greek mythology, we do talk about sexual assault. There are more details on mythpodcast.com. This week... On the Myths and Legends podcast, it's the beginning of the story of Perseus, the inspiration for the movie Clash of the Titans. You'll see that if you commit to kill a monster, you probably shouldn't dive into that monster's tragic and humanizing backstory. And you'll see how sharing with your siblings is pretty good. But sharing teeth? Not so good. The creature this week is basically Pac-Man. If Pac-Man roamed around North America eating people. (laughs) This is the Myths and Legends podcast, episode 80A, Golden Child. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. We're back in Greek mythology, Continuing my history of never really logically following any timeline, we're toward the beginning of Greek mythology. We're two generations before Hercules, Atalanta, and Theseus. Zeus is king of the gods on Olympus, the titans are in Tartarus, and Apollo has been born, fought the python and grown up, which means that the oracle, the priestess tradition that communicated Apollo's will to the humans, resides at Delphi, and that's where we'll find Acrisius, the king of Argos, seeking an answer to a very common question. Acrisius took a seat inside the cave, across from the Delphic Oracle. All right, so we talking good news or great news? Acresius joked. The Oracle pursed her lips. Yeah, you're not going to have a son, she said, barely looking up from her scroll. Ouch, just, just like that, huh? Wow, Acrisius said. And before you leave, you should also know, your results came back positive for being killed by your grandson. I'm very sorry. There's no cure. How... How's that now? I don't even have a grandson. Acrisius said. Do you have a son or daughter? Asked the Oracle. Yeah. Yeah, daughter, replied Acrisius. Well, that's generally where grandkids come from, the Oracle observed. Couldn't I just... not... have a grandson? Acrisius asked. (laughs) Yeah, that's... not how this works. Look... I'm an ancient Greek oracle. I give a variation to this prophecy like three times a week. Your grandson is going to kill you. It's going to happen. And from this point on, everything you do or don't do will bring about that end. You have more time than most. Your daughter isn't even pregnant, that you know of. So unless you're planning to fight some babies, you still have a solid couple of decades as an ancient world king. Even with being tragically killed by a family member, there are still a lot of checks in the plus column of your life. Now... If you don't mind, I'm double-booked with guys wanting to know when they're going to have heirs. Want to know how many result in tragic, unintended consequences? Spoiler alert, all of them. All right, bye bye Acrisius stepped out into the sun after his appointment with the Oracle and took a deep breath. He had believed in fate and the gods enough to seek the Oracle, and he had learned the will of the gods. So, his next thought upon learning that fate? I can beat this. A few weeks later, Danae pounded on the door of her cell, demanding answers from her father, Acrisius. She had just woken up in this underground cell, this had to be a mistake. Acrisius shouted through the thick bronze door, that there was no mistake. See, she couldn't conceive a grandson. He trusted her and all, it was the entirety of the ancient Greek world he was worried about. And since she was about 17 years too old to abandon on a hillside to die, Acrisius would just be imprisoning her in a bronze dungeon surrounded by feral hounds, forever or at least until she was too old to have children. Probably forever, though. Dana-E shouted back that this wasn't fair. Some woman said that his grandson was going to kill him in a couple of decades, so Dana-E had to spend the rest of her much longer life in here. Had he realized that he was going to die eventually anyway? The king thought about it. Yeah, no. She still had to stay in her prison. Well, can I at least have a roof? Dana-E yelled to her father. All that's in here now is just bronze bars looking up at the sky. Yeah, I thought you'd like that, Acrecia said. Well, what if it rains, or snows, or really is anything other than perfect weather, she said. Wow, okay, you try to do something nice. Yeah, Danae, I'll throw some wood on it in the morning. Happy? No, I'm still imprisoned underground forever, she said. Ugh, so needy. Good night, Acresia said to his daughter, before leaving her to her first night in her little prison. She'll be fine tonight, it didn't look like rain. A few hours later, Zeus, buzzing by at cruising altitude and a little bored, happened to look down and see Danae sleeping under the open sky. And since he was Zeus, he descended to check out the scene. Hovering above the bars, he saw that even he couldn't squeeze through in his normal form. He tried popping into the form of several animals to try to get through the bars, but it just wasn't happening. What to do, what to do. Then he snapped his fingers. Got it. Shower of gold. In a solution that no one would arrive at ever, Zeus turned into a cloud and then rained down gold upon the sleeping and unsuspecting Danae. We've long since accepted Zeus's ability to ignore the basics of human biology when it comes to reproduction, but with Danae, it goes so much further. The cloud that rained down from the heavens entered Danae's womb and impregnated her. On this podcast, I've sometimes joked about some of the more ridiculous aspects of the stories, but with this one, I can't. It's just so out there that it's bulletproof. Checkmate, Zeus. There are a lot of unanswered questions of how, but a few weeks later, Danae knew she was pregnant. She tried to hide it from her father, as this was exactly the thing he imprisoned her to prevent, and she managed to, for months. Unfortunately, she couldn't hold back her screams during labor, or the subsequent baby. as he looked upon his daughter with the baby boy sleeping in her arms, Acrisius was faced with a problem that a non-trivial number of ancient Greek kings faced. Here was the baby that would kill him, but he couldn't kill the child, because then he'd anger the gods, and have the fairies coming after him for killing a family member, and then he'd have to seek purification, it would be this whole thing. He no doubt thought that he was super clever, when he came to the solution that everyone in these stories comes to. Expose the child. Babies were, unsurprisingly, really bad at camping and wilderness survival, so Creasius wouldn't be responsible when the child inevitably died. Thus, he would beat fate. Unfortunately, few of these prophecies were cushy enough to be about grandchildren, and this solution presented another problem. His daughter, Danny. she, for some reason, had some strong opinions about leaving her child to die in the wilderness. Last chance. Give me the kid, Acrisius demanded, standing by the ocean. Danae gripped her child close to her chest. And this is the last time I'm going to say it. No, you're not taking him, E said, and spit at her father's feet. All right, then I made the right decision, Acrisius said, and nodded to a few guys, dragging a coffin. It was adult-sized. Acrisius told his men to take the baby away from Danae, but if they couldn't, to just throw them both into the coffin. Of course, Danny E was not about to part with her newborn. So, after a brief struggle, the men lifted her, kicking and screaming and biting, and threw her down into the coffin. As they nailed the lid down, Acrisius heard her screaming from the inside, how she would never forgive him for this, how it was a monster. Acrisius looked on in silence. His resolve had been cemented back when he first decided to imprison his own daughter for the rest of her life. With the lid at last secured, they pushed it off into the ocean. Acrisius watched the coffin, and all of his problems flowed away. Yeesh, Zeus commented, watching the scene from Olympus. Unbelievable, added Poseidon. A woman and her baby? Ugh, that's dark stuff. I know, I know. I realize that I'm far, far from the father of the year, but that's pretty messed up, even for me, said Zeus. Hey, Poseidon, Mind directing her toward land? She'll die if we let that thing keep floating. And for all my profound and numerous faults, that's still my son in there, that I happen to remember exists. Well, well, well. So you're actually going to be a dad to this kid, with the whole redemptive arc and everything? Poseidon said, as he began manipulating the currents, pushing Danae and her baby toward the island of Seraphos. What? No, ew. Just because I don't want a mom and her baby to suffocate, doesn't mean that I'm going legit. But, they good? Yeah, it looks like a fisherman by the island saw them. He has an axe in his house nearby. They should be fine. Confirmed, Poseidon. Nice. Thanks, bro, Zeus said, turning into a swan and flapping his wings. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a date. Danae felt the coffin stop swaying on the waves and shifted her infant to the crook of her arm. She tried to regulate her breathing for her son, but as oxygen became scarce, panic set in. It felt as though the coffin had beached. With her free arm, Dana E started pounding on the lid of the coffin, screaming for help. Soon, her pounding was met with other pounding from the outside. It grew closer and closer, until she heard, back up! Dana E squeezed as far as possible to one side, arms wrapped tightly around her baby. Seconds later, and her head pounding from the lack of air, light burst into the darkness and the face of a fisherman filled the hole. She gasped prayer as the fisherman stood and continued hacking at the hole, until it was big enough for the pair to climb out. Weeping and trembling, Danae emerged into the sunlight. She had survived. As luck would have it, the man who rescued Danae and her child, just so happened to be the brother of a local king, King Polydectes. Upon seeing that these visitors weren't your normal castaways, you know, being a princess and a son of Zeus, the king accepted them into his household. And Perseus as the child was called, grew up among royalty. One day, King Polydectes approached the now teenage Perseus. Hey, buddy, I have a favor to ask, the king said to the young man. No, Perseus replied. Okay, okay, whoa. You didn't even let me ask, the king said. You were going to ask if I could help you marry my mom. The answer like it's been for the last five years, is still no. What? No, that's crazy talk. I know your mom isn't into me on account of me being way older and you know, trying to force her into marriage that one time, the king said. Five times. Percy's corrected. Well, who's keeping track? But you're actually wrong this time. Nope, I don't want to marry your mom anymore. She had her chance. I've moved on to other unattainable women. Ever heard of Hippodamia? The daughter of that king that races everyone to death covered in episode 59 of the Myths and Legends podcast? Yeah. You really think you're up to that? Perseus asked, head cocked to the side. Well, I'm not actually going to race him to death. I'm just going to offer him a bunch of horses as a bridal gift for his daughter, the king announced proudly. Do you have a bunch of horses? This is a pretty small island, Perseus questioned. Well, that's why I came to talk to you. I'm going around asking everyone for horses. You, more than anyone, want me to have horses to marry this other woman, right? Polydictes, Perseus said, I'm essentially a refugee. I don't have one horse, let alone a spare. Oh, the king said, well, if I can't find enough horses, I'm going to have to marry a different princess. A local one. I wonder who that could be. Look, I get it, Perseus said. I'd do anything to keep you from marrying my mom. Heck, I'd even bring back the gorgon's head for you to use as a bridal gift for Hippodamia, but you know I don't have the horses. Perseus could see the wheels turning in Polydectes' mind, and then his mouth curl into a smile. Perseus caught it just a moment too late. No, 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 no. You said it, though, Polydectes said. Yeah, but I didn't mean literally. Come on, Perseus replied. Nope, nope, that's a deal now. You bring back the head of Medusa the gorgon, whose gaze turns people to stone, and I won't marry your mom. Oh my gosh, so if I'm hearing this right, I need to fight a mythological monster so you can get enough stuff to buy a woman from her father or you're going to marry my mom against her will, which is even worse, Perseus said. "Mm -hmm, Yeah, that's about right, the king said, happy that he had accidentally quartered Perseus into leaving on such a dangerous mission. There was no way that he was actually going to win a fight against the Gorgon. That woman had serpents for hair, really sharp and scary teeth, and a gaze that turned people, literally, to stone. Either he would relent and finally give up, or he'd be killed. Polydictes could marry the kid's mom either way, win-win. Perseus, however, was committed. It wasn't just that he didn't want the sleazeball Polydictes marrying his mom. You don't rescue a young woman and then try to force her into marriage. You just don't. But also, he had just tried to scare Perseus out of preventing it. Danae had only vague memories of the conception of her son, but they both arrived at the same conclusion that for man to come in an otherworldly form and somehow impregnate her with gold, it had to be Zeus. This was the chance for Perseus to prove that he was more than just some castaway from a faraway land. He would prove, once and for all, that he belonged in his family line by doing more than his craving grandfather had ever done. He would kill Medusa to all this, Medusa is one of the most tragically misunderstood characters in Greco-Roman mythology, and we'll learn why, slash podcasts. So, you're going to kill Medusa, huh? Perseus heard from behind him. He spun around, reaching for a sword that wasn't there. He saw... Standing before him in his room, Athena. Uh, hi, yes? How did you know? Perseus said. Oh, I hate her, Athena said. I always have an ear to the ground for someone looking to kill her. I can give you a sword, by the way. Other stuff, too. She just has to die. Oh, okay. I really appreciate the help, Perseus said. But I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask you why you hated her. I don't want to get tangled up in a weird family thing or mess with fate or something. Oh, I get it. I'm glad you asked, Athena said. So, you know how she's like hideously ugly, right? How if you look at her, you'll turn to stone? Yeah, I did that. She used to be really beautiful. Like, stop your chariots in the street, beautiful. She had suitors coming from all around. Then, one day when she was at my temple, she had the audacity to be so irresistible that Poseidon raped her. Right there in my temple. Can you believe the nerve of that woman? I, I... What? Perseus said, before Athena continued. So what do I do with this woman who has the audacity to defile my temple? I turn her into a hideous monster. Okay, but you just said that she was raped, Perseus said, desperately trying to connect the dots. Yeah, she was raped in my temple, so I turned her into a monster. Why is this so hard for you to get? Athena said. Because it doesn't make sense at all. What did you do to Poseidon? I mean, he was really the one at fault here, right? I mean, am I, am I missing something? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why would Uncle P be at fault? Athena asked. Because he raped? I'm sorry, I'm having a really hard time following this, Percy said. Well, whatever you think, either you kill Medusa or your mom is forced into marriage with this king. You're kind of committed. So either take my help and win or don't and die. Your choice. Perseus sighed. He would take Athena's help. He would kill the Gorgon. I hope you picked up on the fact that I don't think Medusa was at fault at all, and that the ancient perspective on this event was completely terrible. This particular story surfaces in Roman times, by the writer Ovid, and it's played completely straight. Medusa, according to the reasoning at the time, got what she deserved for being so ravishingly beautiful, which is just incredibly messed up. Blaming a woman for being so irresistible that a man rapes her, is a disgusting line of thought that should have died out with the ancient world. I had Perseus come in with my own perspective of disgust and complete bewilderment, but Perseus in Ovid's story was completely on board with this whole gross line of thought, and was down to kill Medusa. Danae knew it was up, and while she was sad to see the one person in this world who loved her leave, she knew that he couldn't be persuaded otherwise. Even beyond doing it for her, this was his time, his quest. This was the time of heroes, and he was set on proving that he was a son of Zeus and worthy of the mantle. Danae said goodbye to her son, the one person in the world who she could trust, and watched him sail off toward mainland Greece. It took Perseus days of sailing and weeks on foot, but he finally arrived at Delphi, to the Oracle of Apollo. Athena had told him to go there first, to start in the first stage of his quest. Yep, Athena told Apollo you'd be coming, it's a whole phone chain, the Oracle said to Perseus. Anyway, I have your first stop. It's in a faraway land full of strange creatures, the Oracle said to Perseus. Like, monsters? Perseus asked. Well, yes and no, mostly no, the oracle said. They're just like normal people, but they don't eat grain. They make bread from ground acorns. That's, that's not weird, Perseus said. No, you're right, it's really weird. They don't have wheat, just acorns, the oracle reiterated. How is that weird? We literally have a creature with nine heads that spits poison across the channel there. Perseus pointed out. Yes, but it doesn't need acorns. Ugh. Anyway, that's all I have for you. When you get to Acorn Land, you'll know what to do, the Oracle said, and waved in her 10 o'clock. When Perseus had walked far to the north, to the land of Dodona, and entered the vast oak forest, he didn't know what to do. He wandered for days until one night he heard a voice behind him Hey, there you are. She's expecting you. Perseus spun around but didn't see anything besides the trees. Hello? Perseus called out to the forest at twilight. Hi, yeah, we're here. The forest said back, where are the trees? You talk? Perseus asked, eyes darting from tree to tree. Of course, don't all trees? The oak replied, that's an honest question too, by the way. I've only ever been rooted here my whole life, so all trees talk, right? Man, that oracle really buried the lead. She only mentioned the acorn thing, Perseus said, half to himself. Oh yeah, the acorn thing? Gross, right? They just fall off of us and the people eat them. Anyway, speaking of oracles, she'll see you now. Who will? Oh, the oracle here. You're basically camped out in her front yard. She lives in that stone hut, just a few hundred feet that way. And human person, we're okay. But now that you know we're sentient, maybe be a little more careful before you go to the bathroom. Gary's still a little shook up about earlier today. It went right to his roots. The she that the trees were referring to was yet another oracle who had a bit more information for Perseus. She didn't know where Medusa was, but she knew of her sisters, who also didn't know where she was. But that was Perseus' next stage of the quest. Leaving all those trees behind and saying goodbye, Perseus saw light shining in the forest up ahead. He pushed past yet another tree trying to have a conversation with him to see someone hovering in the clearing shining, and wearing winged sandals and a winged cap. You the one Athena sent to kill Medusa? The being asked. Perseus nodded to the glowing, floating man. Nice, well, I'm here to help. I'm Hermes. Hey, there's something about these women, the sisters of Medusa, that you really ought to know. Weeks later, Perseus approached the cave where the gree the three sisters of Medusa, lived. He had been thinking about what Hermes said, and as he approached,
1: he wasn't
0: really that worried about stealth. He popped his head around the corner to see the women eating. Well, one woman eating. The other two were waiting for their turn to use the tooth. The Gree were three women who were born as old women. It's like Benjamin Button, if Benjamin Button stayed an awkwardly CG-eyed little guy and didn't grow up into baby Brad Pitt. The three women were inseparable, not because they were sisters with a similar condition, but because they could not function without the others. The three shared one eye and one tooth between them, as they passed the tooth around between bites, sticking it in their gums and chewing their food, before passing the spitty tooth on to the next woman, and then passed the eye around, each plopping it in her forehead slot to see what she was eating. It was very easy for Perseus to get control of the eye. When one of the sisters passed it in the tooth, Perseus was waiting on the other end, because... In the land of the blind, the two-eyed man now has three eyes. Perseus watched for a bit, chuckling to himself as the women fought, each accusing another of trying to betray the other two and make off with the eye and tooth. But Perseus finally chimed in, saying that he had their slimy, squishy eye and calculus-caked tooth. He didn't like holding either. They didn't like being blind and toothless. Let's make a deal. Hermes had told Perseus that these three women would help him find the gray women of the north. The three grey-e shrugged. Yeah, they were grey women, who lived in the north. It was pretty self-explanatory. If you go north until you see people who are literally grey living in a grey land, then you've found the grey women of the north. Wait, that, that's it? Perseus said. Yeah, but what do you need to talk to the grey women about? One of the sisters asked. Oh, nothing. Just getting stuff to kill your sister, Perseus shouted, tightening his grip on the eye just in case he needed to pop it and take out these monstrous women. Oh, okay, well, good luck, they said. You don't care? Asked Perseus. I mean, our dad, the primordial sea god, forces, kind of got around. We know Medusa is our sister, but it's not like we're close. She never comes by to see us, mainly because it would instantly turn us all to stone. But, you know, the effort would be nice. Anyway, we're just three old women with a pretty severe medical condition trying to make the best of it, and we were in the middle of dinner, so... Oh, yeah, 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 sorry about that, Perseus said. I really thought this would go a different way, and he spent the next ten minutes trying to put the eye back in the old woman's socket and fitting the tooth just so in her gums before waving goodbye to the three and heading north. So, are you the gray nymphs of the north? Perseus asked. The gray nymphs? who were in the north. Hold on, one of the nymphs said to Perseus. Let me check my skin. She looked down at her skin in an exaggerated motion. Yep, still gray. What do you want? Haha, look, I'm on kind of a weird quest. Hermes sent me to these ladies, and I have to kill this other lady who's a monster, but it's not really our fault, because a ton of patriarchal bull- But the nymph cut him off. Oh, you're Athena's guy. Why didn't you say so? Hey, everyone, this is the guy. Yeah, we have your stuff. Stuff? You mean, you- Don't know where Medusa lives? I thought I was going to her, Perseus said, confused. Yeah, no, we don't know where the gorgons live. But some of the gods dropped off some really cool magical items. All right, first up, some winged sandals. Huh? Nice, right? No more walking places when your feet can fly. Next up, a bag that's bigger on the inside, and specially equipped for transporting severed monster heads. Huh? Wait, like a bag of holding? Perseus asked, a smile beginning to form. I'm unfamiliar with your 20th century D&D terminology, but yeah, okay, sure, kind of like a bag of holding, the nymph said, before moving on to the last item, she took out a helmet and put it on Perseus' head and stepped back, it looks good on you, the nymph declared, also, I'm just joking, I can't see you at all, it's the helmet of Hades, and it turns people invisible, just, just please take it off so we can continue talking, Perseus took the helmet off and asked, how they got the helmet of Hades? That seemed like a quest in itself. The nymph shrugged. Nope. He just lent it out. Turns out all the Olympians were down to murder this woman, who had done nothing other than be raped by Poseidon. That is absolutely terrible, Perseus said. But the nymph shrugged. Welcome to ancient Greece. Perseus strapped the winged sandals on his feet. And though things were a bit wobbly at first, and he wasn't really comfortable hovering a hundred feet up in the air for another few hours, he did get the hang of it. Then he saw a glowing figure, down in the forest, beckoning him down, he descended, and saw Hermes there, glowing and standing in the clearing, hey Hermes, Perseus said, landing, why didn't you just drift down in the sky, like you did last time, you're, you're wearing my shoes, Hermes said, pointing at the winged sandals, oh, these are yours, thank you, Perseus said, yeah don't mention it, said Hermes, anyway, I have a couple more things for you, first, the location of Medusa, kind of important, and second, these, he said, showing Perseus a polished bronze shield and a sword. They were forged by Hephaestus himself, the god of blacksmiths, metallurgy, and other stuff. Wow, this whole group of Olympians ever agreed on anything like they have to punish this poor woman? Perseus asked, inspecting the flawless weapons. Hermes didn't answer, but gave Perseus detailed instructions on where to find Medusa. It would be a long flight, but he would be there in a matter of hours in flight, rather than weeks by foot or boat. As he left Hermes and ascended to a comfortable cruising altitude, gifted gear in place, Perseus thought about his journey. He would save his mother and carve out his place in legend by killing this woman who really didn't deserve it at all. Next week, we're going to be finishing up the story of Perseus, We're going to see Medusa and her sisters, well, not actually see them, that'd be really bad for all of us, find Andromeda Chained to the Rock, and see how the Oracle's prophecy comes to pass. In lieu of other announcements today, please just go subscribe to Fictional, our new podcast, to get the first two episodes the moment they come out next Tuesday, August 22nd. You can find it on Apple Podcasts at apple.fictional.fm, Stitcher at stitcher.fictional.fm, and Google Play at google.fictional.fm. The creature this time is the flying head from Iroquois folklore in Northeastern North America. The creature is, you guessed it, a flying head. Like most severed heads, it has a chip on its non-existent shoulder and really likes to eat people, among other things. It flies by flapping its hair in the storms, and it's quite decisive. Once it locks its jaws on something, it will not let go until it eats that thing, whether it be human, plant, or animal. Having a floating head dropping from the sky and munching on the shoulders of your friends and family can be a real problem. Luckily, one elderly woman had a solution. Camping out during heavy winds, she was cooking up some chestnuts on some coals. As she sat there, loudly enjoying and smacking her lips while eating the chestnuts, she noticed the stark silhouette of a flying head against the moon. It took notice of her, too, before flapping its hair in descent. The elderly woman saw the head's teeth shining in the darkness, coming for her own head, "'until it stopped in midair. "'What were those things?' it asked. "'Oh, these?' "'Just roasted chestnuts,' she said. "'They're really good. "'Way better than people,' she assumed. "'Care to have one? "'Here, eat some chestnuts. "'And if they're not amazing, "'you can eat my face like you are planning to.' "'The head would have shrugged. "'Sure, sounded good. "'Now give me some chestnuts.' "'The woman looked down at her hands. "'Ah, darn, fresh out. "'Well, there are some fresh ones over there. "'Help yourself, head.' The flying head saw the chestnuts and the coals and didn't wait. He flapped his hair and scooped up a big mouthful. Only then did he realize that he had been tricked. He had a mouthful of hot coals, and he couldn't open it again. His screams were muffled and short. The woman watched the flying head, the plague of the region, burn in front of her. She was right to think that the thing was shockingly stupid. With a stomach crammed into its head too, it apparently had very little room left for a brain. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Colmes. There are links to other music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Loot Crate for sponsoring us this week. Loot Crate has an epic range of pop culture items, all for less than $20 a month. It is the best surprise you know is coming. And August Loot Crate theme is Kingdom, featuring items from The Legend of Zelda, Adventure Time, in the Lord of the Rings. One lucky subscriber will also win a mega crate of seriously epic proportions. Subscribe on the 19th at 9 p.m. Pacific to receive this month's crate. Go to loopcrate.com slash legends and enter my code legends. Save $3 on any new subscription today. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. <laughs>